One of the most extraordinary events in the history of mankind occurred on a spring day in 1820 when Joseph Smith, Jr. went into a grove of trees near his home, his family farm, to ask God for direction, light, and truth. As he knelt in humble, sincere prayer, according to his own account of the event, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing in the air above me. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. At that moment, the world became a different place. The heavens, long silent, were once again opened and revealed light and truth poured forth that eventually resulted in the organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints upon the earth. These were incredible times as the spirit of revelation moved powerfully upon the Prophet Joseph Smith. Often others were present with him when revelations were received and they bore witness of the Spirit and the outward manifestations that were present on these occasions. Typically, they spoke of a whiteness or a brightness that surrounded Joseph. For example, as the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants was given, Philo Dibble wrote that Joseph seemed to be dressed in an element of glorious white, and his face shone as if it were transparent. And Brigham Young testified that those who were acquainted with Joseph knew when the spirit of revelation was upon him, for his countenance wore an expression peculiar to himself while under that influence. He preached by the spirit of revelation and taught his counsel by it, and those who were acquainted with him could discover it at once, for at such times there was a peculiar clearness and transparency in his face. Some who shared in this marvelous revelatory experience were impressed with how smoothly these revelations from the Lord flowed and how, except for minor corrections such as spelling or punctuation, they required no editing. Said Parley P. Pratt, each sentence was uttered slowly and very distinctly, with a pause between each sufficiently long for it to be recorded by an ordinary writer in longhand. There was never any hesitation, reviewing or reading back, in order to keep the run of the subject. Neither did any of these communications undergo revisions, interlinings, or corrections. As he dictated them, so they stood, so far as I have witnessed, and I was present to witness the dictation of several communications of several pages each. Interestingly, it was those who knew Joseph best who were most astonished at this process. They understood more than anyone else the limitations of his formal education and natural ability. 
Consequently, they had the clearest view of the miraculous way God spoke through his living prophet. Joseph's wife, Emma, bore a testimony similar to Parley P. Pratt's in that she continued to be amazed at the process through which revelation came. Years after the prophet's death, she said, I am satisfied that no man could have dictated the writing of the manuscripts unless he was inspired, for when acting as his scribe, Joseph would dictate to me hour after hour, and when returning after meals or after interruptions, he could at once begin where he left off without either seeing the manuscript or having any portion of it read to him. My dear brothers and sisters, do we appreciate the marvelous miracle of Revelation? Through Revelation we have received the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price, which contain the words of God to us, His children. Oh, how marvelous are the revelations we have received from the Lord! I have often said either Joseph Smith was the Lord's instrument by which the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullness was accomplished, or he was not. There is no possible compromise of this doctrine. I raise my voice to the whole world in testimony that I know without reservation or question that Joseph Smith opened this dispensation through divine revelation and began the restoration to the earth of the true Church of Jesus Christ. Among the most marvelous of revelations ever given to a man, given to man, is the 76th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, often referred to simply as the vision. This vision may have been one of the Prophet Joseph's most powerful and significant spiritual experiences. As he and Sidney Rigdon prayed to understand the resurrection of the just, and the unjust, this glorious vision, or actually a series of six visions, burst upon them. Joseph and Sidney literally conversed with the Lord for about an hour and a half as the Savior showed them what Joseph later described as eternity sketched in a vision from God of what was and now is and yet is to be. As it commenced, the two men viewed the glory of the Son of God on the right hand of the Father and were moved to exclaim, And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of Him, this is the testimony last of all which we give of Him, that He lives. For we saw Him even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that He is the only begotten, of the Father. In sequence, Joseph and Sidney next saw Lucifer in the premortal world as he fell from the presence of God because of his rebellion. They then saw the sons of perdition and what will become of them in the eternal worlds. Next, they viewed visions of the celestial, terrestrial, and telestial kingdoms, and they learned the requirements for attaining each of these kingdoms and the difference in glory of each respectively. 
they learned that those who qualify for celestial glory shall dwell in the presence of God and His Christ forever and ever. What a wondrous experience for the Prophet Joseph and Sidney. For more than an hour the Lord showed them our pre-mortal life, earth life, and life after death. As a result of that revelation, mankind's understanding of Heavenly Father's plan for our eternal happiness and peace was expanded and enhanced to a remarkable degree. Of course, it should be noted that Joseph was instructed not to record everything that he saw in vision. The saints at the time were not prepared to receive all of the new information that he was given. But as we look at the prophet's later teachings, we see what appear to be bits and pieces of this great revelation being taught here a little and there a little as the saints grew in their spiritual understanding. That is why education, particularly spiritual education, is constantly stressed by the Lord. We cannot be saved in ignorance, but the Lord can only reveal light and truth to us as we are prepared to receive it. And so it is incumbent upon each of us to do everything we can to increase our spiritual knowledge and understanding by studying the scriptures and the words of the living prophets. When we read and study the revelations, the Spirit can confirm in our hearts the truth of what we are learning. In this way, the voice of the Lord speaks to each one of us. As we ponder the teachings of the gospel and apply them in daily living, we become better prepared to receive additional light and truth. Today, I hope we are prepared and eager to understand what President Gordon B. Hinckley is teaching us, for he, along with the other apostles, will teach us how to cope and how to live in these troubled times. As promised in the scriptures, ye have not as yet understood how great blessings the Father hath prepared for you. Ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. How grateful I am for revelation that has enhanced my understanding of Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and their gospel. That knowledge has been a blessing in my life and in the lives of my family. Several years ago, we sat together in the Kirtland Temple and tried to imagine what it would have been like for the Prophet Joseph and Oliver Cowdery to see the re in revealed truth the blazing throne of God whereon was seated the Father and the Son, or to see the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit and hear Him say, Your sins are forgiven you. You are clean before me. Therefore, lift up your heads and rejoice. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, how Joseph and Oliver must have felt as Moses, Elias, and Elijah appeared to them and committed keys, dispensations, 
and sealing powers, not unlike what occurred on the Mount of Transfiguration about 2,000 years before. I do not believe anyone seeking light and knowledge can read from the revelation given to President Joseph F. Smith in October of 1918 and not feel the spirit and power of revealed truth. The 138th section of the Doctrine and Covenants is filled with the doctrine about the eternal nature of man and the purpose of the great work of this Church. President Smith said, The eyes of my understanding were opened, and the Spirit of the Lord rested upon me, and I saw the hosts of the dead, both small and great. And there were gathered together in one place an innumerable company of the spirits of the just, who had been faithful in the testimony of Jesus while they lived in mortality. All these had departed mortal life, firm in a hope of a glorious resurrection through the grace of God the Father and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. I beheld that they were filled with joy and gladness and were rejoicing together because the day of their deliverance was at hand. While this vast multitude waited and conversed rejoicing in the hour of their deliverance from the change of death, the Son of God appeared. And there He preached to them the everlasting gospel, the doctrine of the resurrection, the redemption of mankind from the fall and from the individual sins on conditions of repentance. And the saints rejoiced in their redemption and bowed the knee and acknowledged the Son of God as their Redeemer and Deliverer from death and the chains of hell. Their countenances shone, and the radiance from the presence of the Lord rested upon them, and they sang praises unto His holy name. Thus was the gospel preached to those who had died in their sins without knowledge of the truth or in transgression having rejected the prophets. These were taught faith in God, repentance from sin, vicarious baptism for the remission of sins, the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, and all other principles of the gospel that were necessary for them to know. And so it was made known among the dead, both small and great, the unrighteous as well as the faithful, that redemption had been wrought through the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross. President Smith saw both ancient and modern prophets foreshadowing the great work to be done in the temples of the Lord in the dispensation of the fullness of times for the redemption of the dead and the sealing of the children to their parents, lest the whole earth be smitten with a curse and utterly wasted at His coming. He beheld that the faithful elders of this dispensation, when they depart from mortal life, continue their labors in the preaching of the gospel of repentance and redemption through the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God among those who are in darkness and under the bondage of sin in the great world of the spirits of the dead. 
The dead who repent will be redeemed through obedience to the ordinances of the house of God, and after they have paid the penalty of their transgressions and are washed clean, shall receive a reward according to their works, for they are heirs of salvation. What great eternal light and knowledge comes to us from the marvelous revelations from God to His faithful faithful prophets. How grateful we should be for the understanding that has come to us as a result of all the revelations that have been given to us in this last great dispensation. Wherever I go in the world, there are faithful members of the Church who know as I know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true because it has been revealed to us by the power of the Spirit. Anyone who sincerely wants to know can also have these truths confirmed to them by the same power of the Spirit. My brothers and sisters, we need to embrace study and appreciate the revealed truths that are ours. We need to declare the gospel generously and kindly to all of our Father's children that every soul might walk in the light and truth of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless each one of us with increased knowledge and testimony, and may we be open and receptive to the spirit of revelation as it has moved upon our prophets in the past and as it will yet move upon the prophets in the future is my humble prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To the priesthood of the Church here on this earth, I salute you. It is an honor to be in your presence tonight. The priesthood that is here and across the whole earth is a wondrous thing. A few months ago, I was in the main lobby of the Church Administration Building waiting for an elevator when three men came in and asked the receptionist at the front desk, Is this where the brothers are? The receptionist smiled, and I thought, Isn't that a great salutation? Wherever I go, we are brothers. It is instant, and it is reassuring. I return to my home after each assignment thanking God for this brotherhood and the love and the good works that I see. You are unbelievable, my friends. Men of the priesthood, I remember a story about a schoolteacher who asked a returning class what their fathers had taught them about self-reliance during a summer vacation. After several accounts were told, she, she asked Johnny what his dad had done, and Johnny replied, My dad taught me how to swim. He took me out in the middle of Utah Lake, threw me overboard, and told me to swim back to shore. <laughs> wow, the teacher said, that took a lot of courage. And Johnny replied, It wasn't bad at all after I got out of the gunny sack. Well, my young friends, 
Life will be a challenge, but our Father in Heaven has given us the means to get through it safely. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. The Lord wants you to have the greatest of all experiences as you make your journey to earth. This can be a magnificent journey filled with literally thousands of tremendous experiences and spiritual confirmations if you will find your way through the many choices that will be yours along the way. The road given by our Father in Heaven is clearly marked, but the patterns and ways of the worlds can deceive you. But remember, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You are the means by which truth and goodness and eternal life will be made known to the whole world. We are all a part of it. And as the Lord said to Joseph Smith in 1831, we will all need the heart and a willing mind. Young men, life is eternal. The Lord Jesus Christ and his servants give hope and witness to the world that the journey is we take us from our Father's presence to earth and then home again to our Father in heaven to live eternally. We all bear this good news to the world. It is a supernal message of everlasting life and everlasting relationships, even eternal marriages and families. Nothing transcends its meaning, its value, its promise. With this knowledge and love, we can help transform the hopes and dreams and help others to find eternal truths and the inward peace and security that it brings. For instance, consider my friend Bob and his watch care over a smoking, an elder who smoked. Nearly every morning he would see a fellow member of his quorum and pray with him to help him overcome smoking and then give him a pack of lifesavers or package of gum to help him during the day. Later, Bob would see him and his wife with hands linked across the temple altar, sealed for eternity. What was it that changed and helped bring this all about? The gospel and the heart and a willing mind. Youth, may I leave with you a few thoughts that may help you create a heart, that kind of a heart and a willing mind. First, we testify to this world that there is a God and He has sent His beloved Son to establish the importance of this journey to earth and back. He has provided the plan for successfully making that journey. We just need to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. The philosophies of man will ever be there, but they do not carry the promise of eternal life or even peace on this earth. Put your whole trust in the Lord. His scriptures and His prophets testify of Him and show the way. Second, God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, has established boundaries. These are the commandments that He gives to us to help us make the journey safely. When with the heart and a willing mind 
We are obedient to these commandments. We go through a change process that alters the way we think, the way we feel, the way we dress, the way we live, what we eat and drink, and the way we serve others. As Alma the Younger said, they become new creatures. These boundaries protect us. They are essential to the safe journey. When I was five years old, my mother helped me to learn about boundaries when she said to me nearly every day, Jimmy, don't go near the quicksand, which was just a couple of hundred feet away from our house. Well, guess what Jimmy and his young friends would do? We would go there. As we walked closer to the quicksand, one of my friends walked onto this rather wet, darker-looking sand. It looked almost like the rest of the sand. At first, his feet wouldn't move, and then and we all laughed. And then they sank a little deeper into the quicksand, and he panicked. He couldn't get out of the quicksand, and he started screaming. The rest of us ran as fast as we could to a cowboy's house, screaming at the top of our voices. He immediately grabbed a rope and ran with us back to the boy, who was now up to his waist in the quicksand. He quickly lassoed the boy, and we held the rope while he put up, put a log and climbed onto it to pull the boy out of the quicksand. We learn that when we cross over the Lord's boundaries, we are often caught in a quicksand of sorts. The waves of the world are often like that quicksand, and they can be so destructive. They seek to divert us from the Lord's boundaries, His commandments. These worldly ways, drugs, drinking, smoking, living together without marriage, some of the music, and on and on, seem very enticing, appear to be the normal way of life, seem to be accepted by everyone, and are extolled in television, on the movies, over the Internet, in videos, etc. These things lead us outside the boundaries the Lord has set. When followed, they bring despair and devastating health, financial, and other problems. The boundaries of the Lord are set forth in your For the Strength of Youth booklets and are clear and a great blessing to everyone who follows them. We go forth as missionaries and as members to help people find and value the commandments or boundaries of the Lord. If it is done with the heart and a willing mind, or in other words, anxiously, happily, enthusiastically, like President Hinckley as he goes forth across the earth, it will make us different, appreciative and thankful for each opportunity that we take. Third, young and yes, old alike, begin with the end in mind. Where do you want to be at 19 years of age or at retirement? On a mission? Make that decision even this very night. I promise you that it will change your life and others as God directs you on your mission. All He requires is the heart and a willing mind. You can do so much good that it will astound you as you are changed 
and as you see others changed. In a testimony meeting in Bari, Italy, you can imagine my surprise when a young man stood up and said, if it hadn't been for the missionaries, I wouldn't be here today. He then went on to tell how his mother and grandparents had been found in Paris, France by elders Ben Walton and James Paramore 30 years earlier. After many meetings, the family was baptized. Now this son was on a mission. I later learned that over the years, more than 170 people had been baptized by that family. I had been privileged to serve a mission. And those two and a half years were crucial to my testimony. I cannot thank God enough. I testify to you that God lives, that His Son is the Redeemer of this earth, and that this gospel will bless all mankind everywhere. May we all trust in God and His Son, live within the boundaries they have given, begin with the end in mind, with the heart and a willing mind. Remember the Lord said, For them that honor me, I will honor. May this be our journey. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Tonight I speak to all of the young men of the Aaronic priesthood preparing to serve missions all full-time missionaries, and all fathers and grandfathers who motivate and prepare young men to serve. Several months ago, I visited far west Missouri. At one time, it was the home and place of refuge for three to 4,000 members of the Church. Today, the homes are gone and only fields of grass remain. In July 1838, the Prophet Joseph Smith received a revelation that the Twelve were to depart far west on April 26, 1839, to commence missionary work in Great Britain. In the Discourses of Wilfred Woodruff, we read, When that revelation was given, all was peace and quietude comparatively in that land. But when the time came for the Twelve Apostles to fulfill that revelation, the Saints had all been driven out. President Young asked the Twelve who were were with him, What shall we do with regard to the fulfillment of this revelation? Some of the brethren said that the Lord would accept the intent of the Twelve and that the Lord would not require their lives to fulfill the revelation. Wilfred Woodruff continues, The Spirit of the Lord rested upon the Twelve, and they said, The Lord God has spoken, and we will fulfill that revelation and commandment. And that was the feeling of President Young and of those who were with him. The Twelve, in obedience to the revelation, departed for their missions. Wilfred Woodruff was so sick he could hardly stand on his feet. Heber C. Kimball wrote that Brigham Young was so sick he was unable to walk a distance of thirty rods without assistance. He left his wife and children lying sick in bed. When he left home, Brigham Young was wearing a long quilt to wear over his shoulders because he had no coat. On August 28, 1852, five years after the Saints arrived in Salt Lake Valley, Brigham Young convened a special conference where approximately 100 men were called to serve missions to the far corners of the earth. 
The charge given the missionaries by George A. Smith of the Twelve was as follows. The missions we will call for during this conference are generally not to be very long ones. Probably from three to seven years is as long as any man will be absent from his family. (laughs) Today our missionaries do not serve or depart their missions under such extreme circumstances. They go with relative comfort and ease, appropriately dressed, adequately fed, and travel by jet airplane. Currently, over 58,000 full-time missionaries serve in 136 nations and territories. By July, there will be 331 missions. The excitement and thrill of being a full-time missionary is one of the greatest blessings a young man of the Aaronic priesthood can aspire to. Most missionaries receive special training in one of the 15 missionary training centers throughout the world. The largest in Provo currently has approximately 3,000 missionaries in residence. I thought you might be interested in several statistics shared with me during a recent visit to the MTC. In one month, the missionaries consume over 5,000 pounds of dry cereal. That is over two and a half tons. Of that amount, 2,200 pounds is Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms is a popular breakfast dry cereal. Maybe one of the best preparations for being a missionary is to eat Lucky Charms. For you parents who try to focus your young men's eating habits on what you may consider as more nutritious food, you might be aware that in one month missionaries consumed only 16 pounds of all bran. <laughs> young men of the Aaronic Priesthood, May I suggest six ways you can prepare for your mission. First, secure your individual testimony of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Know for yourself that you hold the priesthood and that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Second, study and ponder the Book of Mormon to the point where you can declare that it was received by Joseph Smith from the angel Moroni and that the Prophet Joseph translated the book from the golden plates. Third, be clean and pure. To those who have slipped, repentance is available if you will approach your bishop and seek his help and counsel. Fourth, pay your tithes and offerings so that you can bear witness of this great principle of the gospel. Save money so you can serve a mission. A mission is not free and all missionaries should expect to financially contribute towards the cost of their mission. Fifth, learn how to work. Be willing to get up early in the morning, work hard all day, and retire on time. As you prepare for your mission, learn how to work. And sixth, serve as a home teacher in your ward to know the joy of service. For all full-time missionaries, I have several suggestions. First, open your mouth. The Lord tells us, And thou must open thy mouth at all times, declaring my gospel with the sound of rejoicing. Speak to everyone—shopkeepers, passengers riding buses, people on streets, everyone you meet. Second, work hard. Missionary work results in many rejections. It is easy to be discouraged. And ye are called to bring to pass the gathering of mine elect. 
For mine elect hear my voice and harden not their hearts. Third, be obedient, faithful, and true. Missionaries serve in companionships for protection. A missionary best protects his companion when he is loyal to the Lord and helps his companion. By keeping the missionary rules, you gain the freedom of having the Spirit assist you. Fourth, teach and testify. And ye shall go forth in the power of my Spirit, preaching my gospel two by two in my name, lifting up your voices as with the sound of a trump, declaring my word like unto angels of God. And fifth, when you complete a mission, maintain the spirit, appearance, and trust of a missionary. Brigham Young once said to the returned missionary, Come home with your heads up. Keep yourselves clean from the crowns of your heads to the soles of your feet. Be pure in heart. To the fathers and grandfathers of Aaronic priesthood young men, motivate and encourage your sons and grandsons to serve missions. Provide a righteous home and an atmosphere of peace and stability where young men can be reared and prepared to serve. Set a personal example by keeping the commandments. Pay tithes and offerings, attend sacrament meetings, read the scriptures, and have family home evenings so that your sons will be prepared for their missions. As couple missionaries, you and your wife should prepare to serve when that time comes. We need many, many more couple missionaries. The joys and blessings of serving a full-time mission are so personally sacred they are hard to express adequately. Thirty-five years after I served my first mission, I received a letter from a family whom I had taught but did not baptize. The letter shared that their family of four little children whom I once knew now consisted of four temple marriages, three full-time missionaries, three bishops, and a Relief Society president and a dozen grandchildren maturing and developing in the gospel. You can well imagine the thrill and joy I received knowing that I had helped to find them and to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. In conclusion, may I testify of the blessings of missionary service. Last year, my father passed away at age 88. As a young man, he was called on a mission during the Depression when few were able to serve. It was hard and difficult. He always said that his decision to serve a mission was the best decision he ever made. When he died, he left ten children, nine living, fifty-six grandchildren, and 116 great-grandchildren. Of his posterity, thirty-two served full-time missions, and fifteen spouses who married into the family had served missions resulting in 47 full-time missionaries or almost 100 years of full-time missionary work. All of this resulted in part because one man served a mission. I shall be forever grateful that my father served a mission and that I was motivated and taught to follow his example. I bear witness of this great privilege we all have in the Church to be missionaries. Inherent in our responsibility of holding the priesthood is to be a missionary. I pray that we will all fulfill that obligation we have to the Lord.
In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Brethren, during my Aaronic priesthood years, I was concerned with a different fold. I was a swineherd. Way back then, by means of a 4-H club project involving purebred Duroc pigs, I became familiar with work. As proof that what follows is not merely swollen memory, may I, with Elder Nelson's help, display very briefly this blanket of nearly 100 ribbons, won by my prize pigs at various fairs over several years. <laughs> Up near Elder Nelson's hand is a pink ribbon, won 60 years ago. It was the very first ribbon I ever won. I think the judge had a tender eye, and the pig wasn't so good, but he knew I needed encouragement and hence the fourth prize. The purple ribbons are for champions that came later on. Thank you, Elder Nelson. Brethren, I learned the hard way about the need to watch shifting pork prices at the local meatpacking plant. Careful records of profits and losses were kept with the help of my bookkeeper father. As in all things, my parents, so supportive, even ended up doing some of the perspiring themselves, including a special mother, born 95 years ago today. She showed me how to work, and she loved me enough to correct me. In order to obtain low-cost pig feed, I regularly bought dozens and dozens of three-day-old loaves of bread at a bakery for a mere penny a loaf. Additionally, if present at the right time at a local dairy, I could get about 70 gallons of skim milk free. Now I pay two fifty a gallon, an amusing irony. <laughs> By saving in these ways, I could buy the needed grain for the pigs with the little hard cash that I had. There were many times when a pregnant sow would give birth to her litter after midnight. The resultant weariness of attending to all that and more was real. Yet through it all, there was a sense of some accomplishment, including contributing to our family menus. Most young men my age did similar work. Back then, brethren, we were all poor together and we didn't know it. Work was a given. Today, for some, receiving is a given. However, there were real social downsides to raising pigs. Already shy, I remember vividly the principal of the junior high school coming into my class once and saying aloud in front of everybody, Neil, your mother's called, your pigs are out. <laughs> I felt like crawling under my desk, but instead ran home to help round up the pigs. My father was loving but exacting. He noted that while I worked hard, my work was often not carefully done. I was a stranger to excellence. One summer day, I determined to please Dad by putting in a number of needed fence posts, firmly implanted and fully aligned. I worked hard all that day, and then scanned the lane expectantly down which my father would walk home. When he arrived, I watched anxiously as he carefully inspected the fence post, even checking them with a level bar 
before pronouncing them to be fully satisfactory. Then came his praise. My sweat of the brow had earned Dad's commendation, which in turn melted my heart. Please forgive this brief autobiographical note which I have used to express my deep appreciation for learning to work at an early age. Even so, brethren, I did not always put my shoulder to the wheel with a heart full of song. But I did learn about shoulders and wheels, which helped later in life when the wheels grew larger. Some of today's otherwise good young men mistakenly think that putting their shoulders to the wheel is the same thing as putting their hands on a steering wheel. Our Heavenly Father has described His vast plan for His children by saying, Behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Consider the significance of the Lord's use of the word work. What He is doing so lovingly and redemptively is nevertheless work even for Him. We likewise speak of working out our salvation, of the law of the harvest, and of the sweat of the brow. These are not idle phrases. Instead, they underscore the importance of work. In fact, brethren, work is always a spiritual necessity, even if, for some, work is not an economic necessity. Thus I speak to you as good young men, including seven fine grandsons listening tonight, among them three recently ordained deacons. I remind you that the gospel of work is part of the fullness of the gospel. Though joyful, missionary work is work. Though joyful, temple work is work. Alas, a few of our underwhelmed youth work all right, but mostly are trying to please themselves. Unfortunately, a few of our otherwise good youth are unstretched, having almost a free pass. Perks are provided, including cars complete with fuel and insurance, all paid for by parents who sometimes listen in vain for a few courteous and appreciative words. Young men, your individual mix of work will vary, understandably, by season and circumstance as between the hours spent on homework and family work and church work, part-time work, and work on service projects. Each form of work can stretch your talents. Nevertheless, watch for the warning lights. For instance, if you are engaged in part-time work, are all your wages spent on yourself? Is tithing paid? Is some saved for a mission? President Spencer W. Kimball gave us this crisp counsel. If the young man is permitted to spend all on himself, that spirit of selfishness may continue with him to his grave. Homework from school is surely a necessity, but does mental work squeeze out spiritual work entirely? Your grade point average is very important, but what is your GPA for Christian service? Doing church work can develop vital reflexes, and the need for this form of work will never cease. But are you really going through the motions? Family work is vital, too, but does it really go beyond merely keeping your own rooms clean and picking up your own clothes? Whatever the mix of work, the hardest work you and I will ever do 
is to put off our selfishness. It is heavy lifting. A balance of work can be orchestrated, but some forms of work tend to dominate other forms, like fathers staying too late at the office too often. Thus, our preferred chores need little encouragement. It's like Elder Spencer Condy's paraphrase of Strauss's warning to orchestra conductors. Never give an encouraging nod to the brass section, or you'll never hear the strings again. (laughs) Be careful, fathers, when you inordinately desire things to be better for your children than they were for you. Do not, however unintentionally, make things worse by removing the requirement for reasonable work as part of their experience, thereby insulating your children from the very things that help make you what you are. Granted some tactical situations of change, for most young men there are no cows to be milked, pigs to be fed, etc. Yes, some of today's work may seem artificial and contrived. Nevertheless, young men, be patient with your parents as they try to help provide reasonable and meaningful work. In that connection, how blessed we would be if more sons could work alongside their fathers, if only occasionally. Fathers and sons, if such teaming up is not already happening at all, please, in the next three months, select just one stretching chore to do together. Young men, I do not know what your individual gifts are, but you have them. Please employ these gifts and stretch your talents, along with taking out garbage cans, mowing lawns, and raking leaves or shoveling snow for widows, widowers, or a sick neighbor. Knowing how to work will give you an edge in life and experience with excellence a special edge. Let us all be quick and generous to praise our youth for the work they accomplish, especially when they do it well. The rising generation will determine if Latter-day Saints will continue to be known for the work ethic. Long ago, President Brigham Young advised, I want to see our elders so full of integrity that their work will be preferred. If we live our religion and are worthy of the name Latter-day Saints, We are just the men that all such businesses can be entrusted to with perfect safety. If it cannot be so, it will prove that we do not live our religion. When the time comes, young men, make your career choices. Know that whether one is a neurosurgeon, a forest ranger, a mechanic, farmer, or teacher is a matter of preference, not principle. While those career choices are clearly very important, These do not mark your real career path. Instead, brethren, you are sojourning sons of God who have been invited to take the path that leads home. There, morticians will not be the only occupation to become obsolete. But the capacity to work and work wisely will never be obsolete and neither will the ability to learn. Meanwhile, my young brethren, I have not seen any perspiration-free shortcuts to the celestial kingdom. There is no easy escalator to take us there. Now, whether holders of the Aaronic or the Melchizedek priesthood, 
At no time has it been more important for you to know who you are than in today's world. For a long, long time, each of you has been part of a great and ongoing drama. You were actually with God in the beginning. You were at the grand premortal council when, as his spirit sons, you shouted for joy over the prospect of this mortal experience in furtherance of Heavenly Father's plan of salvation. Further drama lies ahead for the faithful, including one day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ, and when all will acknowledge that God is God and that he is perfect in his justice and mercy. Those who love the Lord will inherit his celestial kingdom, where eye hath not seen nor ear heard such things as the Lord hath prepared for them. Jesus has already worked to prepare such a glorious place for us. My brethren, old and young, sweeping is the only way to describe your spiritual history and your possible future. There will always be plenty of work to do, especially for those who know how to do the Lord's work. I gladly endorse what President Hinckley has declared, namely that we have the finest generation of young people ever in the history of this Church. I believe in your future possibilities. You are special spirits sent to do special chores. It is toward those chores that I have tried to give you a friendly nudge tonight. I love you. God bless you and keep you on that path that will take you home, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Family love is wonderful. Nothing is as specific as the love of a baby for its mother. Nothing is as predictable as the love of children for their parents or the love of parents for their children. Recently, I was tenderly hugging one of our precious little five-year-old granddaughters and said to her, I love you, sweetheart. She responded rather blandly, I know. I asked, How do you know that I love you? Because you're my grandfather. That was reason enough for her. Indeed, we do love our grandchildren. We also love our grandparents. I cherish the memories of life with three of my four grandparents. I never met my grandfather, Nelson. He died when my father was only 16 years old. At the time of grandfather's passing, he was superintendent of public instruction for the state of Utah. He owned a handsome pocket watch, which my father later gave to me. Now that watch is a tangible link between us. I think of my grandfather Nelson with deep feelings of gratitude. I received much of my early education in schools he helped to develop. And I cherish my membership in this Church, to which both of his parents were converted in Denmark about a century and a half ago. In fact, all eight of my great-grandparents were converts to the Church in Europe. Of the others, one joined the Church in Sweden, two in England, and three in Norway. 
how grateful I am to these pioneer predecessors. My debt to them is reflected in these biblical verses. One soweth and another reapeth, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Today we are reaping a harvest of family love from seeds sown years ago. Preparations to strengthen family ties came in 1823 when the angel Moroni first appeared to the prophet Joseph Smith. Moroni announced the coming of Elijah, who would cause the hearts of children to be turned to their fathers. Elijah's return to earth occurred at the first temple built in this dispensation, where he and other heavenly messengers under direct direction of the Lord entrusted special keys of priesthood authority to the restored Church. Moses committed the keys of the gathering of Israel. Elias committed the keys of the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. And Elijah came to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. With that, natural affection between generations began to be enriched. This restoration was accompanied by what is sometimes called the spirit of Elijah, a manifestation of the Holy Ghost bearing witness of the divine nature of the family. Hence, people throughout the world, regardless of religious affiliation, are gathering records of deceased relatives at an ever-increasing rate. <clears throat> Elijah came not only to stimulate research for ancestors. He also enabled families to be eternally linked beyond the bounds of mortality. Indeed, the opportunity for families to be sealed forever is the real reason for our research. The Lord declared through the Prophet Joseph Smith, These are principles in relation to the dead and the living that cannot be lightly passed over as pertaining to our salvation, for their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. They without us cannot be made perfect, neither can we without our dead be made perfect. Among the first in this dispensation to sow seeds of interest in family history were the brothers Orson and Parley P. Pratt, members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Their efforts resulted in a Pratt family genealogy and the performance of temple ordinances for about 3,000 of their ancestors. Yet there were many Church members who did not fully understand the responsibility for their own kindred. President Wilfred Woodruff was so concerned that he made the issue a matter of fervent prayer. Then, in April 1894 General Conference, he presented a revelation to the membership of the Church. From it I quote, We want the Latter-day Saints from this time to trace their genealogies as far as they can and to be sealed to their fathers and mothers. Have children sealed to their parents, and run this chain through as far as you can get it. This is the will of the Lord to His people." Later that year, the First Presidency and the Twelve established the Genealogical Society of Utah. From modest beginnings in an upstairs room of the Church Historian's Office, its collection and facilities have grown. Today, the Family History Library 
occupies a modern five-story building with access to 280,000 books, 700,000 microfiches, and more than 2 million rolls of microfilm, making it the largest library of its kind in the world. In 1964, the department began to establish branch libraries. Today, more than 3,000 family history centers dot the globe. Technology used to support this important work has changed greatly over the years. In 1927, a card file was instituted to index all endowments performed. The index was maintained through 1969 when new endowments were recorded in the first major computer system, identified by the acronym GIANT. It was used for more than two decades. The Society's extensive microfilming has permitted the gathering of records at their sources, with copies made available later at the Family History Library and Family History Centers. Microfilming has been done in 110 countries, accumulating more than 2 billion exposures with approximately 13 billion names. Microfilming has enabled the Family History Library to expand its collections dramatically and provide resources for an explosive growth in genealogical research worldwide. These microfilms comprise the core of information contained in our present automated systems. By the 1980s, the personal computer had revolutionized the management of information. The Family History Department employed this technology in developing personal ancestral file to help members organize data regarding their ancestors. In 1990, Family Search was announced. At October conference that year, Elder Richard G. Scott described components of Family Search, Ancestral File, Family History Library Catalog, International Genealogical Index, and more. His message stimulated Sister Nelson and me to use these tools to your organize information that we and our relatives had gathered over many years. Meanwhile, objectives of decentralization and simplification led to record extraction programs in which thousands of Church members have participated. Extraction projects have now produced records for more than 300 million individuals. Many people have joined with members of the Church in efforts to index the burgeoning bank of genealogical information. An example is the 1881 British Census. For this project, more than 8,000 volunteers from family history societies throughout the British Isles have transcribed 30 million names. Gratefully, we announce that fruits of this labor are now on fiche and will soon be available on compact disc from the Church's distribution centers. We are also pleased to announce that data from the 1880 Census of the United States will soon be released on compact disc. Meanwhile, volunteers are working on other projects, such as arrival records for immigrants to the USA through Ellis Island. 
May I express our deep appreciation to all valiant volunteers, past, present, and future, for their diligent work on these and other projects. In describing these achievements, I realize that for some who are less involved in this work, I may have in intensified feelings of guilt. I apologize for that. I know that fear and unfamiliarity may stand in your way. For others, even the mention of a computer may be an additional intimidator. Some secretly hope that they can slip through their remaining days on Earth without ever having to touch a computer. <laughs> to those with access to computers, I say, reach out, have hope, try. I have exciting news for you. The time of harvest is come. A new era of family history work has arrived. As President Gordon B. Hinckley recently noted, the Lord has inspired skilled men and women in developing new technologies which we can use to our great advantage in moving forward this sacred work. Previously, efforts have focused on gathering names and dates and organizing that information. Now, computer products are available that can actually guide you to find your kindred. May I introduce you to the new Family History Source Guide. This compact disc is now available at the Church's distribution centers. It can lead you to genealogical records in countries, states, and provinces around the world and shows you how you can use these records to identify your ancestors. It includes other aids, such as maps, letter-writing guides, translation of words for several non-English-speaking countries, definitions and terms often found in genealogical records. Family History Source Guide puts at your fingertips much of the collected knowledge and experience of hundreds of genealogical experts. It can all be yours at the touch of a button. Use it and rejoice. A new Vital Records Index will make available on compact disc the results of extraction programs prepared for many civil and ecclesiastical records. Some overlap will exist between this resource and records of the International Genealogical Index. But most of the names in the Vital Records Index have not yet had temple ordinance work performed. The entire index will include approximately 25 million records. During the next few months, it will be released in segments by geographic area, such as the British Isles, 5 million records, North America, 4.5 million records. This file represents years of work of many extraction workers. I am excited about these and other developments. Tasks that once seemed beyond reach are now within our grasp. With God, nothing shall be impossible. The new harvest time has come. The way is opening by which we can obey His will and provide welding links between all dispensations and generations. To get started, you do not need equipment. Begin with a pedigree chart and a family group record. 
List the names of those you know. Add information learned from living relatives. This simple start at home will prepare you to receive additional help. And when you are baptized for a deceased ancestor, you will sense a feeling of validation of this divine work that will bring great joy. As we ponder the importance of our ancestral responsibilities, we also need to be reminded of the Lord's vast ministry. I quote from President Joseph F. Smith. Jesus had not finished his work when his body was slain, neither did he finish it after his resurrection from the dead. Although he had accomplished the purpose for which he then came to the earth, he had not fulfilled all his work. And when will he? Not until he has redeemed and saved every son and daughter of our father Adam that have been or ever will be born upon this earth to the end of time. That is his mission. We will not finish our work until we have saved ourselves, and then not until we shall have saved all depending upon us. For we are to become saviors upon Mount Zion as well as Christ. We are called to this mission. The dead are not perfect without us, neither are we without them. To this end, the will of the Lord has been impressed upon President Hinckley to build more temples. The Latter-day Saints are to be an endowed people, and they are to be sealed to their posterity and progenitors. My grandfather's watch reminds me that our grandparents watch and wait for us to identify them, be linked to them, and provide temple ordinances for them. May God bless us all with success in this sacred service. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.